Thank you, Selena. Good morning, everyone. Great to be back. My name is Kamal. I'm the pastor of our Granville congregation and greetings from the Wild West. It is possible for me to be here because we at Granville have a visiting preacher. And I must say, one of the disadvantages, this is not a complaint, it's just a reflection on reality. Because we only have morning services now, I haven't seen you guys for ages. It's really nice to be back. Somebody please invite me for lunch. I really want to hang out with you guys again. It's been far too long. Please take out the outline that you have. I shall be overviewing both chapters 13 and 14. We just read chapter 14, but I'll be dipping into chapter 13 as well. Okay, folks, hands up here if you want to make progress. Who here wants to make progress in your life as an individual? (laughs) Yeah, come on. Everybody wants to make progress, right? Who wants our society, our country to move forward and make social progress? Come on, like we want that. Don't don't be like rebellious and... Yeah, okay. Of course we want to make progress as individuals, as families, as a society, as a community... The only question is, where are we progressing to? Where are we going? Because, folks, you realize that nowadays we've made so much progress that we no longer know what a man or a woman is. We've progressed beyond the body. And in fact, parents, you need to know that we've progressed so much that we no longer recognize your parental authority over your children. Because in public schools, at least today, depending on the school policy, your children might reject their body and not even tell you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please read more of the news, okay, and find out what's going on in your schools. Bodies, we are so socially progressive that bodies don't matter and families don't matter. Now, folks, Yes, we all want to make progress, but where are we going? Are we actually going forward or are we moving backwards? Are we improving or declining? Today's passage, Hosea 13 and 14, challenges us to make real, genuine progress. But to make progress towards God. And that is radical, that is revolutionary, that is something that shakes the foundations of society because nowadays in a secularized society where religion, not just Christianity, religion has been pushed to the margins, the idea that actual progress means turning or returning to God, people don't naturally think that way. So even if you don't get laughed at, mocked and scorned, and we might, okay, we need to be ready to be seen as being against progress, to be seen as being backwards for saying we need to return to God. That's what Hosea would have faced in his day and in his age, okay? But probably most of us, I've talked with you guys, our friends are not mean. But it's going to sound weird. There's going to be like this friction. It's going to feel like returning to God is actually backwards. And that is why we need today's passage. That is why we need to keep refreshing ourselves and strengthening ourselves according to the word of God. So that we actually understand that it's good for us to be progressing towards God. And to be turning away from God is actually the backwards movement. And that it's good for our families and even for our whole society and for our country to progress, return to God. 
Let's begin with the tribe of Ephraim, the leaders, the great honored people of the nation of Israel. Chapter 13, verse 1, see how progressed Ephraim were. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel. Now, what's interesting about this is that Ephraim was the youngest, the the smallest of the 12 tribes of Israel, the least. But in the north, in the 10 tribes of Israel, that tribe had grown to be dignified and to be the leaders. And that makes sense, okay? Because God loves to exalt those who are down, those who are below. But precisely when they they became exalted, They fell into sin. Second half of verse 1. But he became guilty of Baal worship and died. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver. Cleverly fashioned images. All of them the works of craftsmen. It's said of these people, they offer human sacrifices. They kiss calf idols. The leaders of the people of Israel, the leaders of this tribe of Ephraim, the ones whom God had honored by taking them from the least to the greatest, they now led the people backwards into the kind of idolatry, the kind of paganism that they should have left behind in their past. The kind of language used here for idolatry is actually the language used of the golden calf. Way back in Exodus chapter 32 and Deuteronomy chapter 9. In the midst of going through the desert, the people had been saved from Egypt and they were progressing towards the promised land. And then right in the middle of it, while great Moses was getting the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, they broke the law by worshipping a golden calf. I mean, not this kind of calf, you know, one that goes moo. But they might as well have... It was stupid, it was idiotic, it was insulting to God, it was embarrassing. This is the people of God who has been rescued by mighty God from the, imp- the greatest empire of the time, from Egypt, and now they're worshipping something that goes moo. This is embarrassing. And so they've progressed backwards, led by their leaders to foolish idolatry. Folks, this is as bad... As someone, this might have actually happened, I hope not for you, or sometime, you know, you have an honored guest at a meal, an uncle from overseas or an auntie from overseas, and so you put this lavish party, and they get drunk and start talking embarrassing things, and everyone's just like, this is embarrassing, this is embarrassing. That's how Hosea was feeling about the leaders of his people. Because how they were going backwards, not progressing, but declining into rejecting God. And did you notice the really, really scary few words right in the middle there of verse 2? They offer human sacrifices. When we decline from God, when we go backwards, God is the source of life. Moving towards him, progressing towards him is to embrace life. But therefore, when we turn away from God and go away from him, we live in death and we inflict death upon others. These leaders of Ephraim, the leaders of Israel, they would have thought that they were being really wonderful in giving the, the best of their life, their children, sacrificing their children to Baal and Molech. 
They thought it was terrific. But God felt sick. Hosea felt sick. And we should feel a visceral, emotional response that this is not true worship. This is embarrassing. Please stop, stop. We don't want to be characterized by this. When we turn away from God, we live in death. Did you notice even verse 3? Of course you haven't. I couldn't notice. I haven't read it yet. Let me read for you verse, uh, end of verse um, 2 and let me progress into verse 3. Okay, they kiss calf idols, verse 3. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. When people turn away from God and live in death, we evaporate. We die. Like just something transient and useless just to be wiped away from our windscreen because we can't see because of the fog and we have to get to church in the morning. We're as good as the rain that just gets wiped away by our blinkers. Folks, this... So, especially in an age when turning away from God and religion in general is fashionable. Therefore, you will just feel the friction, even if you know, you're not mocked and scorned, which perhaps we might. This is why we make a stand on not just religion. Other passages of the Bible are relevant for this. I, I've got Isaiah in my head because that's what we're going through in Granville. And right at the beginning of, I, of Isaiah, God loses his temper at the people of God, in, at Judah, the southern kingdom, not because they were being ungodly, but because of their false religion. Who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? The solution, how do we progress towards God? Not just by being good Christians and coming to church. Not just by giving money to church. Or being morally upright. Oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. I'm a good boy. I'm a good Christian boy. I'm a good Christian girl. I keep my pants on. I, I'm not sexually decadent like those white Westerners around me who sleep with everything that moves and some things that don't even move. You know, we need to return to Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is the life of God incarnate. Are you progressing towards him? Folks, even if you don't yet call yourself a Christian, we're so glad you're here. Your presence among us is a sign that you are turning towards God. You are progressing towards God. We want you to embrace Jesus if you haven't embraced him yet. But I tell you, it's well done for even orienting yourself towards Jesus. Very few people do that. Jesus Christ is life, the life of God made flesh. The way that the language operates, in, in him was life. The was there doesn't actually refer to like the past tense. It's kind of more like saying in him life is or life exists, if that makes sense. And so folks, where are we turning? Where, to whom or towards what are we progressing? Are we progressing towards Almighty God in Jesus Christ, the one who is life incarnate, especially as Christmas comes? 
It's coming up towards November. As soon as we get over Halloween, it's not Halloween, by the way. It's Reformation Day. So they're real Protestants, you know, reformed. Martin Luther for the win. Okay, there's my little rant for the day. But uh, after Halloween nonsense, you know what will be advertised. Christmas, jingle bells and all that. Fantastic. A wonderful opportunity for us to talk to our friends about how Jesus Christ is God's life incarnate. Are we progressing towards him? And in Jesus, we find a God who cares about us. We can accept, if we follow Jesus, if we take hold of the life that is in Jesus, we can accept the wonderful reality the comforting reality that someone else cares about us and that someone else can look after us better than we can look after ourselves. Isn't that a relief? That's what chapter 13 verses 4 to 6 say. Here is God speaking to Israel like a father. But I have been the Lord your God since ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. Again, you see the foolishness of turning to the calf idols and false idols. The Lord, their God, the mighty God who had totally kicked Pharaoh's pants in Egypt and made a fool out of the greatest empire at the time. That God nourished and fed the people of Israel and the people of Judah in their journeys as they progressed towards the promised land. You remember, don't you? Now, folks, this makes perfect sense. I know many of you, and I know that your parents look after you and nurtured you and cared for you and brought you up well. They fed you, they clothed you. And they sent you to a good school. Therefore, guess what? We're healthy, happy, well-established adults. I'm sure many of us, some of us here come from difficult families. Well done in making the most of it. Some of us here are single parents. Well done in working hard to love your children and bring them up. Okay? If I've, I hope I have not insulted anyone. If, there, if there's people here from a broken family background, you're yearning for a good family shows the truth of what I'm saying. You understand my point. Healthy families produce healthy children who bless the world, who are useful and productive in society. And we can sympathize and help and support and care for those who don't have the privileges that we have. God as Father. You see how the idea of God as Father is not new to the New Testament. When Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, actually all of the Israelites, the Jews that he was speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount, they should have known what he meant. Now, there's a unique relationship between Jesus and God. So when he says, My Father, in the Gospel of John, people are like, Who do you think you are? God or something? Okay, But here, God is saying, And reminding his people Israel that he knows them. He cares about them. He knows them better than they know themselves. That's why they should follow his law, the Ten Commandments and everything else. Live his way, not just what I feel like. He loves them even more than they love themselves. So, which is why we should live his way, not just what I feel like. Again, folks, you see how countercultural this is to progress towards a God whom we are convinced knows us better than we know ourselves. Because nowadays, you know better than me, especially 
Yo, most of you are younger than me. You know, it's kind of scary when you're signing up for something online and the year I'm born keeps going lower and lower. You all know just the formative influences, school, your friends and all that. It's all about me, the assertion of autonomy. But that's the problem. Israel thought that because they were wealthy, they had progress beyond God. Second half of verse 6, I only read the first half of verse 6. Second half of verse 6, when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. Pride is the problem. I don't mean like LGBT plus sex and all that. That's, I mean something much more simple. Arrogance, comfort, entitlement. God fed the people. He looked after, he looked after them like a good father. They ate his food, spat in his face and ran away from home. How hurtful would that be? Some of us, I think, have gone through that. Our children ignoring us even after we've done everything for them. You know what it's like. And nowadays, you know that we're taught to think like that. Parents, you are demoralized that you have no authority over your children. All you are is a chauffeur and a chef and a a bank. Not even a bank, because in a bank you've got to put your own money. You're just like free money. And young people, you're just uh, like taught to be aggressive and assertive. This is tragic. When we reject God, we decline towards folly and self-destruction and a, a kind of arrogance that is not good. Yes, there is actually, I believe, in a healthy self-esteem. I'm not against language of self-esteem, even like pride in the rightful sense of a confidence that you matter. I'm actually quite in favor of that. We matter because Almighty God calls us to live for Him. Isn't that a life worth living? Almighty God calls us to progress, to use our brains, to use our bodies, to make more and more progress towards him and to caring for others in his name. That's why we matter. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be sort of proud of, if that makes sense? But when we turn away from God, the God who wants to love and care for us as a father, he rightly gets angry. God never loses his temper. Perhaps some of us, we get frightened when we think of God as father because we might have lived with a grumpy, aggressive, tired dad or tired parents. Parents, we might feel bad when we think about this sort of things because we may feel guilty that nowadays with financial pressures, job pressures, rental pressures, everything, the pressure that we are constantly tired, we feel like a failure like parents, understandable okay god never gets tired he never loses his temper which is even more scary when he does get angry because it is a rightful anger for being spurned and insulted verses seven to nine so i will be a lion to them like a leopard I will lurk by the path. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal will tear them apart. You are destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, your helper. Yes, God is angry, but try and understand and feel the tragedy here. I want to help you. I want to care for you. You won't let me, so I'm going to have to give you a spanking. And part of the problem 
was actually they sought salvation in the wrong places, seeking a savior in all the wrong places. Kingship was actually sin, not salvation. Now, for those of us who have done T3, Strand 2, or any of the equivalents, this is the stuff they never teach you. (laughs) 1 Samuel 7, they have rejected me as king. In one sense, in the Old Testament, kingship, the search for a human king, was actually a rejection of God. It was not progress. It was actually going backwards. Yes, I know. 2 Samuel 7, okay, the the line of David, etc., etc., Psalm 89. I'm not denying any of that, okay? Uh, uh, um, Strand 2 for the win. Uh, People, place, rule. uh, Third thing, rule of God for the win. I am saying that a significant theme throughout the Old Testament is the way the people of God God treated their king was they expected the human ruler to replace God, seeking a savior in a king. And by that, that made the king be sin instead of salvation. So chapter 13, verse 10, where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give me a king and princes? So in my anger, I gave you a king. And in my wrath, I took him away. Here, you want a king? Have a look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. Your king will actually abuse you. He will feed on you. He won't feed you. Everyone of the 20 kings of Israel after Solomon, quick bit of history, Folks, reading the Bible, reading the Old Testament is instructive to just see the historical reality of what happened to the northern kingdom Israel when they declined, when they went away from God. Okay, Every one of the 20 kings of Israel did what the Lord considered evil. And so there's this instability in the northern kingdom. A king turning up, getting assassinated. Another king turning up and getting assassinated. It's like something out of a soap opera, you know, one of those military action thriller things. A wicked... uh, Calvin, John Calvin, founder of Presbyterianism, a Frenchman who escaped and lived in Geneva, Switzerland, commenting on Romans chapter 13, which is Romans 13, which is about, you know, good rule. John Calvin says, a wicked prince is the Lord's scourge, the Lord's weapon to punish a sinful people. Folks, who are we placing as our ruler? Who are we seeking to cling to instead of God? Be very careful, especially good things, even God-given things, like the kingship in one sense. It's certainly King David, King Solomon, greatest, wisest king of Israel, Solomon is... His wisdom, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is even in the Bible. If something as good as that, if the institution, the office of kingship can go sour, can go bad, and thereby become a means not of progress, but of decline away from God, anything that we look to, any leader that we put, can, even a God-given leader, parents, you are not God. Please bring up your children to worship God. Not just to worship you nor your family tradition. One of the advantages and disadvantages of being a vast majority Asian background church. And I put myself there. I'm Asian enough to be Asian. Okay, South Asia is part of Asia as well. Never conduct a land war in Asia. Now, what 
One of our advantages, yet disadvantages, is a strong sense of family. Would you believe it? There's even been like academic uh, theological articles written about how Asian families are able to pass on Christianity better than Anglo background families. Why? Because we have a better, stronger sense of extended family. Not theological. It's just a social thing. That's actually a really good thing. Parents don't, don't give it up, but for goodness sake, can you bring up the children to worship God, not just worship you? And I hope that's actually liberating. Why? Because what I mentioned before, all of our failures, our mistakes, our inabilities as parents, we can actually bring them to the children and bring them before God saying, see, this is why I want you to worship God as father. I'm doing my best, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a failure as a mother. Every mother feels like a failure. That's because we are. Compared to Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. Don't worship me, worship God. Don't do things just the way that I tell you. Do it because we are convinced that Almighty God says it's right. And folks, by the way, if we do that, I think that's the best way for, parents, for children later in life to look back at us as parents and joyfully praise God. I won't labor it, but you, many of you know my mom. Okay, because we write books together and do eccentric like mother and son comedy acts, also known as talks together. But my father, literally from as young as I can remember, he was the one who opened the Bible, read the Bible, and then led mom and I in prayers. Gentlemen, fathers, do not underestimate the power of a godly man just modeling ordinary godliness to your children. Children, or any of us, do not put fault like human leaders, even godly institutions, in the place of Almighty God. Our boss cannot save us. Our job can't save us. The government cannot save us. Um, it, it doesn't happen so much here in Australia, but in the USA, you know, all the party politicking and how embarrassing it is that evangelicals in the USA, like, lionize Trump and other like political leaders thinking that they can save the world? No, they can't. They become a means of sin. And even our whole race, our people group, okay, verses 12 and 13, the guilt of Ephraim is stored up. His sins are kept on record. Pains as of a woman in childbirth come to him, but as a child without wisdom. When the time arrives, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. That's really... That's a terrifying image. Ladies, you are allowed to squirm. If you don't squirm, something's wrong. Okay, that's, that's a terrifying image of the child dying in the womb and probably killing the mother. The point here is that race, even the way we inherit our normal ways of life, the kinds of ways of life we take for granted, can communicate sin. Ethnicity doesn't save us. Which is why it's. I actually take note of those research articles that say Asian churches. Why are Asian churches strong? Partly just because we're Asian, not actually to do with the gospel. Why is that? We need to repent of some of things that potentially make us even strong and evaluate that are we worshiping God? Because the Lord alone has the power of life and death. Verse 14 I, the Lord, will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem from death. Where, O oh, death, are your plagues? Where, O oh, death, is your destruction? 
why is it that the only real progress is progress towards Almighty God? Because only Almighty God holds the actual power of life and death. This is also why he has the authority to wield the power of death. Verse 4 has this crunching of gears. Have you noticed? Where, O death, is your plagues? Where is your destruction? I will have no compassion. Verse 15, even though he thrives among his brothers, an east wind from the Lord will come, blowing in from the desert. His spring will fail. His well will dry up. His storehouse will be plundered of all its treasures. Those couple of verses are kind of schizophrenic. Uh, I will uh, rescue. I will rescue them from the grave. I will inflict death upon them. The point is the Lord, the God of Israel, our God who has made himself known in Jesus Christ, that God really has the power of life and death. And that is important, especially in today's age, when genuinely, humanity, we might hold the power of life and death, or we do hold the power of death. What's happening on the 28th of November? Anyone know? Medical peeps, you should know. Genuine question, anyone? Euthanasia becomes legal in New South Wales. Uh, if you didn't know that, you need to read the news more. Okay? We now have physician-assisted suicide, and it'll become like effective on the 28th of November, which is a tragedy that people would feel disposable. They would feel a burden on society. They would feel that their life is not worth living, and that therefore they can kill themselves in a clean way. I'm not passing any judgment on people who feel depressed, etc., etc. What kind of society have we gone backwards, have we regressed to become, that people who are sad, miserable, in pain, feel they have to accelerate their death, kill themselves, instead of having a loving community, which perhaps they're, they're going to die, okay, but we give them to death, we let death take them, without requiring or expecting them to accelerate it. That's a tragedy. God has the power of life and death. Let us fearlessly come to him. The people of Samaria, verse 16, the people of Samaria must bear their guilt. They have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Their pregnant women ripped open. Again, folks, this is not God saying with any glee it is the tragedy of war of Assyria coming to slaughter God's own people. Because they, lived, they refused to progress towards God, they turned away from God, they regressed to idolatry, they in pride, they threw away, they ran away from the God who loved them and fed them. Therefore, the death became physical and real in the siege of Assyria. It happened in 2 Kings 17. We can read it in 2 Kings 17 and folks, read it up in history books. Perhaps you've been laughed at. Perhaps if you're a visiting non-Christian here today, you think that the Bible's full of fairy stories and all that. Just read 2 Kings 17 and read history books. Certainly 2 Kings 17 interprets it from a religious perspective. It says all of this happened because they rejected God, granted. But the events are not questionable and there's no big deal Sargon II of Assyria he sent the army they trashed Samaria and slaughtered people and Sargon boasts that he took some 27,290 captives 
And after that, Assyria brought foreigners to mix the blood and so on and so on. It's in the Bible and it's in history. And that's tragedy. God has the power of life and death. Jesus demonstrated that he holds eternal life in his hands when he came back from the dead for us and for our salvation. But if we run away, if we regress, turn away from this God, the only way is down. And the death will eventually somehow become evident in ourselves, in our families and in society. Perhaps in social decline, where we kill our children in the womb, otherwise known as abortion, where we kill disposable people, euthanasia. And guess what? In transgender, we make people infertile, drugging them, you know, uh, medication, which is irreversible and infertile. A society in love with death. It's tragic. Please do not hear any of this as some sort of gloat. And so, the only way forward is to return to God. Hosea chapter 14. Return, O Israel, verse 1, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. This is interesting. Not take a sacrifice. Okay? Because sacrifices are worthless without obedience. That's what the rest of Hosea has said. You've already, over the last few weeks, explored this, like chapter 4, verse 8, and 5, verse 6, and so on. Take words and say, verse 2, say to him, forgive all our sins, receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. We don't have to take anything to Almighty God. This is the problem with religion, what I mentioned some time back. Religion says, you bring your good deeds to God and prove that you are to be reliable. This is the logic of Catholicism. Perhaps some of us here come from a Roman Catholic background. I should say Roman Catholicism because you know, Protestants, we're the real Catholics, okay? uh, the, the one true church. The Roman Catholic Church, one of the things that Martin Luther for the win, 31st October, one of the things that he protested against is that the Roman Church said, you have to do good. You have to demonstrate that you are participating with God, that you are making the effort to make yourself savable. And if, God, if you do that, God will be impressed and reward you with salvation. Hosea doesn't agree with that. Just come and ask God. Offer him the fruit of your lips, the, the confession. That's why we confess every Sunday. And that is why we pray a prayer of thanksgiving. To rejoice in the assurance that in Jesus Christ, we have complete forgiveness. And so let us offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips which, is, which confess his name, First Peter. But look at for verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 3. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to whatever our own hands have made. This is a deep repentance, a turning back, a returning to God by Israel. Forget Assyria. Forget the alliances, forget the kings, forget the empires that we have trusted in and their imperial power. Um, F-35 Lightning II stealth fighters for the win. Woo! How come I know so much? I'm a boy. I like things that go boom. Okay, we, 
great military power, the ANZUS Treaty, Australia, New Zealand, and the U.S. The U.S. will protect us. The Five Eyes um, Espionage Treaty. We're one of the Five Eyes. Okay, you're, you're wondering how come I know so much. Uh, it's just available on the internet, okay? I'm not um, ASIO or anything. The military strength of Assyria that Israel had relied upon. And as part of that faith, they had worshipped the, the Assyrian gods as a sign of loyalty. This is a deep repentance, a turning back, a returning to God. And so folks, how do we rely on human power? We've already talked about the families and so on. How are we in danger of, again, in the classic Asian way, relying on our strength, on our intellect, and so on? Those of us in year 12, which is more important, church and Bible study and prayer, or passing the HSC? Now look, yes, study hard, okay, learning is good, passing the HSC is good, but you understand my point. Knowing God personally through his word. How do we even approach the Bible? The classic Asian, and I mean South Asian, Sri Lankan and Indian problem, is start making Bible study, emphasizing the study aspect. That we nerd it up and prove our doctrine, but we don't actually know God personally and love him. And we feel the yearning and when we come to him, we do not actually mean what we say. Because we don't know God personally, therefore we don't actually love him. We just know our doctrine. That is the danger, the equivalent danger of trusting in Assyria and actually making even the Bible and Christian doctrine a false god. Do we know God, the God who is mighty to save, the God who brings a runaway child back to himself? End of verse 3 of chapter 14. In you, the fatherless find compassion. Folks, never fear to come back to God. Remember the parable, Luke chapter 15, the parable of the runaway son and the longing father. Usually we call it the prodigal son. No one knows what prodigal means nowadays, so what's the point of calling it that? It's the runaway son. Remember, he came back and he expected to have to bring words of confession. Maybe he read Hosea while he was away, starving and watching the pigs eat what he wanted to eat. Maybe he, he wanted to say, Father, I am unworthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know the story. He started to come and he goes... I am unworthy to be your oof. He didn't even get to say his confession. Because the father ran to him and gathered him up and gave him a big hug. And you know the story. The father throws a party. So much so that the good son gets insulted. And says, is this what you mean to you, you want? Is it, you know, I should go run away and have it off with some chicks and then you pa chuck a party for me. Really, is that what you want? More of that on another occasion. But you understand the point. Our God loves it when we return to him. In fact, he offers us true therapy. Chapter 14, verse 4. I will heal their waywardness. My anger has turned away from them. Folks, we live in a therapeutic age. An age. Give me drugs to feel better. Give me therapy to heal my soul. Help me feel good about myself. That's actually not a bad idea. How about healing our relationship with God first? And in fact, how about healing it in the name of the God who heals us by giving his son over to the fairly ultimate sickness of death? 
Again, book of Isaiah. I can't help myself. I'm studying. We're preaching through Isaiah. You know the wonderful Isaiah chapter 53, you know, the one about the, the sacrifice, okay? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. The book of Isaiah uses therapeutic imagery to talk about the cross. Folks, it is actually really good if we want our souls to be healed, if we want our relationship to be healed, if we want our world to be healed, our society to be healed. That's fantastic. Come to the true, to the true therapy of Almighty God who offers healing in Jesus Christ where His wrath turns away from us. Why can we turn back to God? Because in the cross, the Father turns His face away. He turns his wrath, his anger. The God who holds life and death in his hands give, gives his son over to death so that we would live in him. Are you progressing towards this God? Are you oriented towards this God? Because that is how everything in our life will blossom. Let's finish verse, ch uh, chapter 15, verse 5. I will be like dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the corn. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Without worrying about the details, you understand the imagery of life, eternal life, flourishing life. Life that is good for us as individuals, for our families, our loved ones, even our hated ones, the ones, our enemies, that they would be restored to us. Forgive us our sins. We're going to pray in a moment as we forgive those who sin against us. Life and flourishing for our whole society. We think life is found in anything but God. Seeking the good life in rejecting God and eating too much. Rejecting God and enjoying pleasures. Pleasures quite deliberately by breaking the rules, the boundaries set by God. And seeking constant exploration, constant experimentation. Those of you, okay, younger folk, you know what I mean. Even if you don't live that way, you understand just how we are taught that that is the good life. That is how to find the best life. The best life is found in Almighty God. Trusting that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ who died for us. The sacrifice. We don't need to take a sacrifice. God sacrifices for us. Therefore, we can take words of confession and joyfully return to the Father who runs to us before we run to Him. So, folks, let's get smart. Last verse of Hosea. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. Return to God. To progress towards God. Folks, it doesn't matter if you call yourself Christian or not. That's not the point. The point is where are you going? The rebellious stumble in them. Do not try to fight it. You know, but there's another word. Nowadays we use the word career to mean progress in our jobs. There is another meaning to the word career, and it's rather bad if it happens on the freeway. If we career off the freeway, there's only one road, there's only one lane. Even if there's multiple lanes, there's only one way to go safely on the freeway. The only way to make progress, 
is to go is to follow the lane the right the rebellious stumble in the ways of god the god who offers us life in jesus christ don't fight it just go with it folks everyone wants to progress of course we want to progress if you don't want to progress talk to someone please uh, talk to me talk to someone you trust the way to progress is to progress towards almighty god the god who offers the fullness of eternal life in jesus in him life exists in him is life and that life is the light of our, is, is our light we don't have to take a sacrifice jesus has already sacrificed himself to for us come back to god our heavenly father the god who runs to us even before we run to him let's pray thank you father father god that you offer us jesus christ and by your holy spirit you connect us to your, jesus the risen one we rejoice jesus that you have given us your very self your very life and in him is the eternal life of god himself we bring our words of thanks and praise and also our words of confession we repent from our pride we repent from our ethnic confidence we repent from our confidence in our families and in our morality we repent even from our confidence in doctrine understood as abstract doctrine may our doctrine feed our love for you we delight in seeing people who are theologically simple they don't know what the chief end of man is according to westminster standards but boy they love you and they seek to vigorously serve you make us more like them in their humble love of you and the way that hosea has spoken through his personal knowledge of you and we pray that in all of this we will rejoice in the lord who alone is our salvation amen